God bless you, hon. It's a real joy to be with you all today. And it's been a while since we've been here, so real privilege and uh, to know his presence is among us. Um, I'm just, don't, don't you just love the Word of God? And the promise that we have that when we're born by the Spirit of God into the family of God, that's when we begin to live with a capital L. You know, the Bible says, He that has a son has life, but he that does not have the Son of God does not have life. So I'm thankful that our life is in this, is in Jesus Christ. The, the Cree First Nations people have a special word for Lord. It's katopechikate. And that means the one who owns me. And for he, and Ephesians tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared beforehand, before the foundation of the world. It's amazing that prepared before that we should walk, we should walk in these good works. And I'm thankful that that the Lord has gifted everyone here, and, and it's exciting to see how many of you are involved in the church, and to know that God prepared the good works he had for you to do beforehand and that we should walk in them. So God bless you as you just continue plodding on, plodding on, plodding on, serving God, being faithful. And we know that there's great rewards for faithfulness. And it's great to see some of our friends here that used to be part of our church in Fort McMurray. (laughs) And um, we're, of course, living in Wetasco now, but it's just it's always wonderful to get together with God's people. So privileged to be here. God bless you. Give it to Paul. Give it to Paul. When you don't know the truth of who you are, you will believe the lies of what the world says you are. You're ugly. What are you going to do? You're alone. You're not going to be able to do this. Your parents don't even understand what you're going through. No, I am a child of God and I have a heavenly father who's with me one day at a time. And he loves me and he has a plan for me and he knows the desires of my heart. And I can present my requests to God. I can pray, God, give me arms and legs. But even if you don't give me arms and legs, what would you rather have? Arms and legs or peace in your soul? Arms and legs or purpose? Arms and legs or eternal life and the knowledge of truth? Give me truth. I mean, arms and legs are going to give me arthritis later on anyway. (laughs) But when you know that you're an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and you don't need to have big biceps, guys, and say the F word to be cool. My biceps are so big they fell off. You understand me? You teenage girls, you don't need a boyfriend to feel loved. You're royalty. Your dad is the king of kings and lord of lords. You're you're royalty. You don't need a boyfriend. You need a man of God who's going to stand by you no matter what. By the grace of God. That message. Hallelujah. And he's one of my heroes. I'm sure he's one of yours as well. What an incredible, incredible man. He could have said, you know what? Game over. I am absolutely useless. Nothing I can do. And handicaps can do that for us. How many know that all of us are handicapped somewhere? We limp on the right leg or the left leg, or we have no legs. You know, we have attitude issues. We have, we have 
attitudes that have been passed down from generation to generation in our homes over which we had no control. All kinds of different handicaps. But God can take a lemon and make a lemonade out of it. Did you know that? Praise the Lord. So today, uh, we want to talk about overcoming. And uh, see if I can get this um, PowerPoint working here. I forgot to ask the man which one I push. There we are. (laughs) Amen. No, that's not the one I want. There we go. What are the essentials for overcoming? And today, we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 16 today and the book of Philippians. And so you can put your finger in those two places if you have your Bible with you or your device with you. Uh, essentials for overcoming. And we're going to go through this quickly because I want to get to the end of this message, which really is a summary of what we want to say today. First of all, the love of the Father. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. You didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose you, John 15. I was a kid in school, in elementary school, and at noon hour we would go and play baseball or softball at noon hour in the summertime. And uh, we were choosing up teams. George and Pete were choosing teams, and, uh, and they each picked their teams until I was the only guy left. And they began to argue about me, not because they wanted me. They didn't want me. You pick him. No, you pick him. <laughs> you pick him. Finally, one guy says, oh, Glenn, I'll take you. I feel sorry for you. I could have dug a hole into China. I was so embarrassed and ashamed. I didn't want to play ball that day. And you know, it's a terrible feeling to be on the outside looking in because of the decisions of the people that are in. But God, the God of the universe said, I choose you for my team. I have chosen you and I have ordained you that you might be fruitful and productive. Now, how in the world is a guy with no arms and low legs going to be fruitful and productive? You might ask. God has a way. (laughs) Amen. By the way, Nick is married, as you know, and has a beautiful wife from from, uh, the islands. And and he has four children, a set of twins, and uh, unbelievable, just an unbelievable family. God takes a lemon and makes lemonade. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe you wish you could. Well, God's got news for you. You can. Amen. Okay. No, I got to go back. There we go. Uh, All things work together for good to them who love the Lord. A famous scripture. To those who love the Lord, whatever happens in your life, can be part of the greater scheme of God to work together for good. You and I often react to individual incidences in our life. But God wants you to know that he's got the big picture. He sees what you don't see. Amen? And he sees the whole plan. And if you would just hold your breath and hang on to the Holy Spirit and follow him and his guidance in your life, the story is not finished yet. Don't make a judgment today. Amen. God's going to make it work out together for good. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans chapter 8. You got to read that chapter over again. Amen. More than conquerors through him that loved us. Paul is writing that to the people there. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good 
So says Joseph in Genesis 50, one of the greatest stories in the Bible. Genesis 37 to 50, the story of Joseph, what an incredible man of God. You will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, said Jesus. You know, there was an old country song, I never promised you a rose garden. Well, God didn't either. (laughs) He didn't promise you a good day, a sunny day, every day of your life. He says, in this world, you will have problems, guaranteed. But be of good cheer, I've beat the world. (laughs) I've overcome the world. So the leader that's leading you has got it together. I only need to know that the navigator knows where he's going in order for me to have peace. How about you? I may not know how to drive this big ship, but he does. Amen? And so there's a great book by Bill Heimer, Don't Waste Your Sorrows. And if you ever get a hold of it sometime, it's worth reading. Now, I'm not, uh, what should I say? Technological advantaged? (laughs) Amen. The current war. Uh, You and I in this province of Alberta and in the country of Canada are facing a social and uh, moral war in our country. The social structure is being re-engineered in Alberta as we speak. Uh, Educational system is being re-engineered. Basic human rights are being forgotten. Constitutional freedoms um, are being voided. Condemnation of faith groups seems to be active. And the real war has got to be defined in the same words as Nehemiah shared with his people. Remember, Nehemiah came back to rebuild the walls and the city and the temple of Jerusalem, him and Ezra. And, uh, and they were supported by King Cyrus the Great. Cyrus was the king of Persia, which is today Iran. Can you imagine today the king of Iran, or the Ayatollah, supporting a whole bunch of people to go to Jerusalem and rebuild a city? <laughs> They're saying, kill it! Get it off the map. But that's what Cyrus did. And so he sends money and people and equipment to go and rebuild the city. But but, uh, when they got there, they had some local enemies that didn't want to see it happen. Sanballat was one of them. He says, come on down, Nehemiah, to the plain of Ono, and we'll have a coffee together at Tim Hortons, and we'll talk this thing over. And uh, uh, Nehemiah recognized the trap. And he said, oh, no. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down to you. Would to God that all of us could have said that to the enemy at some times in our lives. When you start dialoguing with the enemy, you're in for trouble. You don't dialogue with him. You don't have time for him. Why? Because God's called you to a great work. Amen. He's not saying that you're the hottest thing on the earth, but he's saying that you are working with the hottest thing on the earth. You are doing a great work. It's the work of God Almighty. It's the rebuilding of worship. It's the rebuilding of His kingdom. Amen. Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Nehemiah 4.14. Great chapter to read. And uh, I keep going the wrong way for some reason. One of the ways you're going to be equipped... Today is to go to this seminar. There's going to be one in Calgary next Wednesday and Edmonton on Thursday. And, uh, and this is... I'm just having a problem here. <laughs> but I'll wake up one of these days. 
There we go. In one accord, the speakers there are going to be speakers for the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom, uh, John Carpe from, from Calgary, Parents for Choice, Faith Beyond Belief, and the West Coast Christian Accord, and the Evangelical Office of the Public Square. Those five committees are going to have speakers there to equip us on how do we deal with the issue of the re-engineering of provincial education today. How do we respond to the Minister of Education and the Premier of Alberta, and what are the tools that are available for us to express our voices at a time like this? We can, uh, you know how it is, we can, out of anger or frustration, express ourselves, and that usually doesn't get us very far. But how can we make a, a solid, united voice together? And so these five groups, five different groups that are working on behalf of the same issue, have come together in order to form what they call In One Accord. And the, the, um, the uh, uh, address is there for you to log in. You can register for free. And it's going to be a session, I believe it's from noon till 5, and then the evening as well. So it's going to be a very comprehensive session to help all of you to understand what is happening in our province and how can you be involved. And they are hoping that an Alberta Accord statement will, will come out of this. Okay, so that's... Uh, I should have had some tutoring on this before the service started. I can't get to the next slide after that one for some reason. There we are. Kingdom power. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that your kingdom will come and your will shall be done in this world just like it is in heaven. And that we would recognize, Lord, that you are working in a mighty way all across this land of Canada. And Father God, the, the good news that we receive from you is the news that we want to see happen. I pray, Father God, that that news shall be propagated today from the hearts and lives of men and women in this auditorium, and that we will share the news that comes from the heart of the Father, and that we will act upon that, and we will live according to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love this Acts chapter 1. You know, Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom when he was on this earth. And um, he had parables on the kingdom. His first message was the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he had many parables about the kingdom. The kingdom is bigger than your church or all of the churches together. The kingdom includes the universe. The kingdom includes the solar system. The kingdom includes the world. But the church is what Jesus has raised up and planted in order to promote the kingdom of God in our world. And when I recognize the message of the kingdom, and I know that includes every born-again believer in Red Deer, amen, and by virtue of creation, it also includes all of Red Deer and Alberta and Canada (laughs) by creation, but by recreation, it includes all the born-again people. These people are called of God for specific tasks. And you say, Glenn, how do you know that? Listen for a moment. Chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's about to go back to the Father. And he speaks to them about the kingdom of God. And when he's done speaking to them about the kingdom of God, the disciples raise a passionate question that has been burning in their hearts the whole time they've been with Christ. 
And the question is this, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What they were asking is, Lord, we're still looking for a political kingdom that will suit us Jewish people and us Christian people in our country. Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you get rid of King Herod? Will you get rid of the Roman emperors who are oppressing us? And could we get the kingdom of God to rule here? And hopefully, Jesus, you will be on the throne. That's kind of all in the background of that question. And Jesus answers them this way. He said, don't sweat it. (laughs) You know, don't worry about that. My father's got that figured out. But you... And I believe Jesus is pointing at you, every one of you here today. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my martusis. You will be my witnesses, says the Lord, which also can be translated martyrs. And so what did Jesus say? He said the kingdom is the same kingdom he's been talking about the whole time he was on earth. The kingdom does not come with observation. It's not flesh and blood, but the kingdom is in the hearts of men and women. The power, folks, of the Holy Spirit that has come to anoint us spreads the message of the kingdom and includes the population of the kingdom who will be followers of Jesus Christ and recognize him as King of kings and Lord of lords. The ultimate ruler in Canada is the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate president, prime minister of America is the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate leader in Europe is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not everybody recognizes that today. Many people have denounced it and denounced him, but that does not change the fact. (laughs) It does not change the truth. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Hallelujah. And so that makes you members of parliament in his kingdom. You are now the MPs of the kingdom of God. You are his ministers. You are his representations on earth. You are his witnesses, his martusis, his ambassadors. Paul called you ambassador. Amen? Hallelujah. So the kingdom of God is here, folks. Don't be intimidated by what's happening in the halls of the provincial legislature in Edmonton. Be encouraged by what's happening in the halls of heaven through the mind of our king and our Lord. He's got a plan. Amen. He's got a plan. And so so that kingdom... Is, 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 the, is, is incredible. Now, go to Acts 16, and we won't take time to read it today. I encourage you this week sometime to read Acts 16 and the letter to the Philippians. It's only four chapters long. But read it and ask the Holy Spirit to re- reveal to you the message that he has for you. There's umpteen dozen messages in those uh, two sightings, Acts 16 and, uh, and Philippians, the four chapters for you to take home, amen, and take to the bank and deposit it and help it, let it help you to live the life God's called you to live. Acts 16, very quickly. Remember, Paul and Silas were not allowed to go to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit leads them to Europe. They cross the Straits of the Dardanelles, and for the first time in history, the gospel of Jesus is coming to Europe. And so they come to the town of Philippi, which is what's like a little Rome, The Philippians, they prided themselves in being like the Roman citizens. They acted like Rome. They talked like Rome. They ate like Rome. They dressed like Rome. And it was kind of like secondary little Rome. And so they were very proud about their little Rome. And Paul comes there and uh, and Silas, and they want to go and pray 
So they go by the riverside because there was no synagogue there, uh, no Jewish community there. So they go down the river and they thought they're going to pray there. But instead, God leads them to a group of women. And these women were there, maybe washing clothes, maybe just meeting, hanging out. I don't know. And, and Paul begins to engage them in conversation about the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result, Lydia and her entire family are born again, baptized in water, right there in that river. <laughs> and then she invites Paul and Silas to make her home, their headquarters, whenever they're there. And gives them a room. Now Lydia was a wealthy lady. She was a seller of purple. Purple dye was very, very rare. Only kings and emperors could afford purple dye, and that's why they wore purple. And so she dealt with the rich and the elite of her day. And as a result, was probably a very wealthy woman. And then, as they walk down the streets of Philippi, this lady, this slave girl, comes out and begins to advertise for them. These men are the men of the Most High God, who bring unto us the way of salvation. Listen to them. Wow, free advertising. And it's all true. They are men of God. They're talking about salvation. Listen to them. They got good news. But after several days, Paul senses this was not the Spirit of Christ. This woman was a fortune teller. She was oppressed by the enemy. And Paul turns around and adjures the enemy and casts it out of her. And as a result of her losing that evil spirit, she lost her gift. And the people that were manipulating her life and using her to make money, they were economical or financial pimps is what they were, pimping her to make money for themselves, as she told fortunes to people, and she was very accurate. And as a result, they became very wealthy. Now, when you touch a man's pocketbook, you're probably going to get some feedback. (laughs) And uh, Paul just hit their pocketbook. And so what did they do? They hauled him to the mall, and uh, they hollered and screamed, and they brought lawyers out. And as a result of the popular opinion, they they both got beaten up and put in a prison. And here's Paul and Silas in a prison. The jailer received instructions. These men are dangerous. (laughs) Paul and Silas, preachers of the gospel. But you know what? That man that said that was true. Did you know that you are dangerous? You are dangerous to the kingdom of the enemy. You are dangerous to evil. You are dangerous to lies. You are dangerous to what's wrong. You are a man or a woman of God. And when they put you in jail, they want to put you in the deepest, darkest dungeon they've got because you're dangerous. (laughs) And they put their feet fast in stocks so they couldn't get up and walk. And there they are sitting in this dark jail after being beaten. And the whipping, folks, in those days was not just a slap on the wrist. They were beaten with leather thongs, with bits of metal and, and bone, in the thongs that would rip your flesh open. And I don't know what they looked like, but it was horrible. There they're suffering from the pain of the beating. They were exposing themselves to all kinds of infection with open wounds all over their bodies, sitting in this dark, dank jail, probably infested with rats and mice. And at midnight, they began to pray. And as they prayed, they began to sing. (laughs) Amen. And as they sang... Long before Elvis Presley, they sang the Jailhouse Rock. (laughs) The whole thing 
just upset it. And the, 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 their stocks broke off. The chains fell off their hands. And all the prisoners were free. And from deep, dark down in that dungeon, Paul and Silas immediately have a picture in their mind of what the jailer is about to do. Because in those days, jailers were personally responsible to keep all their prisoners chained up. If they lost one, this happens in the morning. The Roman inspector would come by, find out if all of the prisoners are still there, great. (laughs) And if they aren't there, you just lost your job and your head. And so the jailer wasn't going to let that happen. So he pulls out a sword and he's about to kill himself. Now, I do not believe that Paul could see him from where he was. Paul was in a dark dungeon. It was so dark that when the jailer wanted to see them, he had to call for a light to get there. So they were in this dark dungeon. The jailer's up at the front office. Paul knows what this man is doing. The man that just beat them within an inch of their lives and put them in the jail is cared for by Paul. Paul says, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. And at that moment, the jailer, perhaps for the first time in his life, encountered the spirit of the kingdom of God. He calls for a light and he runs into their cell and he says, whatever you have got, I want it. I, what must I do to be saved? How do I get what you've got? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Hallelujah. And in that night, the jailer gave his life to the Lord. He takes Paul and Silas into his home and he washes their stripes and washes their wounds. And then his wife puts on a big pot of soup (laughs) and they have lunch together in the darkness of night, somewhere after, sometime after midnight, between midnight and morning. They're having lunch together in the jailer's house, which is probably right next to the jail. And so they're having this lunch. And then Paul says, now you're a Christian. It's time to get baptized. So the whole family is baptized before the sun comes up in the morning. So much for waiting for six years before you get baptized. You know, (laughs) do it now. If you're born again, if you accepted Christ, answer the call for baptism. I saw it on the screen here. Get in that class and understand what baptism means. The power of being obedient to the Christ who was baptized before you. Follow the Lord in the waters of baptism. Amen. And so they're all baptized. And so the next morning comes. So guess what the jailer does? He makes sure that all the prisoners and Paul and Silas are back in their cells. None of them are tied up anymore. But they're all back in their cells, including Paul and Silas. And the inspector comes and sees they're all there. And and fine, the jailer's life is spared. And after that, Paul and Silas are founding pastors of the First Church of Europe. And the First Church of Europe is made up of a very diverse group of people. You have this wealthy Lydia, seller of purple, who deals with emperors and kings. You have a slave girl. You don't even know her name. And she's being used and pimped by people that work off of her while she is eking out an existence on the crumbs that fall from her master's tables. And then you have the middle class couple, the jailer and his family, who are all born again. And these are the first members 
of the church in Philippi. And so, flip fast forward to the book of Philippians. Ten years later, Paul writes to the church in Philippi. There's some discrepancy on the time, but it probably was about ten years later that Paul is in Philippi. And guess where Paul is writing from when he writes his letter? (laughs) Another jail. (laughs) Somebody said, when Paul and Silas went from town to town, they never asked what the Holiday Inn is like. They said, how are the jails there? (laughs) And so they're in another jail, and they're writing back to the Philippians, who may or may not have seen them since 10 years ago. I'm not sure. But the last time they remember him was in jail, and then getting out of jail miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul writes to them, and he says in chapter 1, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. All my memories of you are good. (laughs) He didn't say, remember when I was with you? The terrible people in your town put me in jail and beat me up, and I could have died there, and I could have got infection there. He didn't talk about that. He said, I've just got wonderful memories of you believers, you people who came to Christ, you people that are followers of Jesus Christ. He dresses it. Amen. He says, to the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, and now they have spiritual structure in their church. They had overseers or elders and deacons, servants, that are carrying out the work of the Lord. And then he says, I am in prison right now, and some of you are worried about me, and I'm paraphrasing, but don't you worry about me, because the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. My imprisonment is not a minus, it's a plus. Wow. You've got to be kingdom man to say that. You've got to have something from above to look at imprisonment from that kind of lens. But folks, we live in a world today, and particularly we in the West, Canada and America, where we are so used to the, what should I say, the benefits of life, the benefits of living in our culture, in our prosperous communities, that anything that goes wrong, if I stub my toe, you know, that can be a terrible thing for some people. And it can set them off. What Paul is describing here with his life is a new day of living. A new way of living. Look for the handiwork of God. It isn't about whether or not I'm in prison. It's about whether or not I can see the hand of God at work. And he says the people here, and he says the guards here are becoming Christians. They are finding Christ. And and the Christians outside of the prison are becoming more and more bold to preach the gospel because of my chains. And in order for us to get that kind of inspiration and motivation from somebody else, we've got to look at people like Nick Vujic, who has no arms and legs. Or look at people like the men and women that have been martyred for Christ in the Middle East in the last number of years. Men and women, by the score, that have been martyred for Christ. People that have come out of a prison and have come back to America or Canada 
that spent time there and come back with an attitude of gratitude to God. And you say, Lord, this is not human. You're right, it's not human. It is inhuman, but it is very godly. Very godly. And so he said, he said, the things that have happened to me have fallen out under the furtherance of the gospel. Then he thanks them for the gift they've given him. He said, you guys are the only people that have helped me to carry on my ministry and, and, and give offerings to me. Thank God for that. Then he said, by the way, in case you're worried about running short, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. What's he saying there? Giving to God is always an investment. It's never a cost. Never a cost. You are investing in the kingdom of God. You're investing in another's life. You are investing. Your church is an investment portfolio company. (laughs) Amen. All of you that are here today, go out and you are the church through the week by representing the attitude and the heart of the Father in your workplace, in your school, in your sports, in your community center, or wherever you are. You are a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ's faculty. (laughs) Amen. And as a result, you are changing the world because you dance to a different tune. You sing a different tune. And you've got a different attitude. And people are asking you, what makes you tick? How come... How come you are not yelling and screaming? Because you are born from above. Hallelujah. And you have the attitude of the Father from above. And He has given you a new lease on life that sets you free from the sicknesses of society. And so, okay, somebody taped over the <laughs> and it's still not working. Yeah. Spirit-led music is powerful. <laughs> when you should be crying and you're singing, I tell you, you'll get people's attention. Not that you're looking for that. And when you should be angry and you're actually forgiving, it's incredible. Forgiveness stories... There's a book, by the way, it's called The Devil in Pew Number 7. <laughs> Terrible sounding cover, but if you ever get a hold of the book, it is the most powerful book on forgiveness I have ever read in my whole life. My wife and I read tears streaming down our cheeks. We have a habit of reading at night before we go to bed. We go to bed, and then I hold the book up in the air, and we read together. And uh, we're always reading some book together. And, uh, and this book here, The Devil in Pew Number 7, is a true story about a true family a ministry family in America, and I'll leave it with you. But the, the forgiveness is incredible. The last message I want to leave with you is the last verses of Philippians. Paul says, All the saints here greet, greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Caesar's family are being infected <laughs> by the Spirit that is emulated from Paul in prison. He may be in prison, but he is not handicapped. Amen. The message has gone to the highest levels, the highest echelons of society in Rome. Caesar's household 
is being impacted by the gospel. Brothers and sisters, let me share with this with you. The seizures of the day need to be influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to believe God for the salvation of our leaders. We need to believe God for the hope of the cross, the hope of the kingdom for our men and women in public office. And I take my hat off to anybody that is willing to serve as an MLA or an MP or a mayor or a council person, whether it's a municipality or a city. You are servants of your community. But more importantly, you are servants of Christ by being in that position. We need to pray for our people in power. Pray for our our mayors and council members. Pray for our premier and prime minister. Pray for the ministers of education. We need to pray. Believe God that the Spirit of the Lord is going to infect and impact the hearts of men and women in our day. Hallelujah. And that's what this is all about, folks. This day is coming up in Calgary and Edmonton. How can we represent the kingdom of God in our day in which we live? Let's take a cue from Paul and Silas. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts that you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I just want you to continue to be in a prayerful mood as the worship team comes back right now and leads us in a powerful song of truth. I want to ask you this question. Do you know that you belong to the greatest kingdom on earth? Have you acknowledged Jesus Christ as your prime minister, as your president, as your Lord, as your king, as the one whom you will follow for the rest of your life? There's no better day than today to acknowledge him. If that's you today and you say, Glenn, I really need Jesus in my life. I want to come home to the Father. I want to find the place that God has for me. I don't want to just waste my life. I want my life to be invested in something eternal. And if that's you, slip up your hand. Let me see it. And I want to pray with you right where you are. Anybody here this morning, slip up your hand. You want to come to Christ. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Slip it up and put it down again. Amen. How many here today say, I want to be a kingdom person? I'm a Christian, <laughs> but I feel that I myself have been impacted by society. Society has, has, has somehow dictated my behavior, my attitudes, my thoughts, and I don't want to live on a low level. I want to graduate to a higher level. I want to have Paul and Silas kind of religion. I want to have a faith that looks for the good and that celebrates it and that confronts the evil and casts it out. <laughs> Amen. I want to be a man of God, a woman of God. I'm a Christian, but I want to graduate to the next level. Would you raise your hand right now? Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Hands all over here. God bless you. Let's stand together right now. And uh, and I'm going to invite, if, if you have prayer warriors or altar teams here, elders, if you would come to the front here and just stand here and be ready to meet with these people that have, that would like personal prayer. Some of you you know what you're going to do. God has spoken to your hearts this morning and you're going to go home with a new perspective. But some of you, you're saying, I don't know how to take the next step. I need the help of the Lord. I need somebody to pray with me. You come on up here. And if you're the one 
or two that raised your hands for salvation, you come as well. And let these people know why you're here, okay? Amen. And we'll be up here as well. God bless you. You unravel me with a melody.